um, when, when God was talking to Adam and he said to him that he would have to work, a lot of people think that that was, you know, the first time that a man was, was instructed that he had to work. But actually, before that time, God had already instructed Adam to work. Um, he was to work by naming all the animals, which probably would be a lot of work. I mean, have you ever gone to a zoo? And that's only part of them. And then he also had to work by taking care of the garden. And then he had to work, and this is a good work, he had to help multiply the earth. You know, so God told him to work there too. To, and to subdue the earth. You know, to take control of the earth. And so work originally was meant as a good thing for us to do together, even without sin, and have a purpose in our life and fulfill something that was part of God's creation, that man was created to work not just for God, but with God. And as we've been looking through the book of Colossians, we've been seeing how God is being restorative in this way. That he, through Jesus Christ, is helping us to go back to that place where man was originally created to work with God, and now he gets to work with God because God is in him. And so we've been looking at Colossians, and we've been learning that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. He can forgive any sin. He accepts all people. He has all power. He has destroyed all wickedness. He is already victorious. He is the fullness of God. And amazingly, he lives in us. If you're a Christian, okay, the most powerful thing in you has nothing to do with you. It's not your ego strength. It's not your intelligence. It's not your physical strength. It's Christ in you. And it is through him that we have this new power to do our work. And so Paul continues to help us to see that there is work for us to do. Now, how many of you have seen people on the side of the road carrying a sign that says, well, work for food? I mean, have you all seen that? All right. And, um, and how, have you ever seen somebody holding up a sign like that that would say, uh, we'll work for Jesus? We'll work for Christ? No, I haven't either. But just think about it. I want you to think first, like, how do you feel when you see somebody, like you're driving up, you know, to the intersection and the light's red and you're going to be the first car right there. He's standing on the left. You're going to make a left turn and he's holding the sign and he says, we'll work for food. You know, um, please, God bless you. How do you feel? Just think about how do you feel? And, and why do you think you feel that way? Why do you think you feel that way? Whether it be good or bad. Okay, okay share that with somebody right now. Just share. How do you feel when you come up to somebody who's holding a sign and says, well, work for food, and then why do you feel that way? I'll give you 30 seconds. Share that.
Okay, very good. Yeah, I can hear you're warming up. i just let you go for another half an hour. We'll be done. All right. Um, so what were some of your feelings? What are some feelings that you have? Just say them. Awkward. Okay. Other feelings? Guilty. Conflicted. Suspicious. Okay. Now, why do you feel that way? Why do you have those feelings? Anybody want to share? Unfamiliarity? Okay. Why? Get a real job. Okay. So you sort of wonder why they're not working? Okay. Why else? He's hungry. Okay, so that's one positive. That's a good feeling. Okay, so that one's a good one. You want to help because you know they're hungry. Any other feelings? Pardon? Judgment? Okay, judgment. Yeah, he's just like, oh, I wonder, yeah, are they are there every other day or they go to some other corner, right? Well, you know what? When they are standing there, the thing that I thought about is that they are different. They're different than me. They're different because I would never want to stand on a corner. I would never want to have to hold up that sign. I would never want to have to be that humbled or humiliated to do something like that. I wouldn't want to be seen as different. And yet they are at least doing something to try to help and better themselves. Their sign represents what I believe all Christians should actually have as well. And we should actually be having that sign over our lives. We'll work for Jesus. And when we carry this sign, we should be causing feelings. We should be causing emotions. We should be causing reactions to other people. It's hard. It's awkward. We're different. But this is what God has called us to. He hasn't called us into this world to be comfortable and then die and go to heaven. He's called us into this world to work and to do something for him and to find the purpose of our lives through the work that he's called us to do. And so he's giving us meaningful work. And so we look at these words from Paul and we see that he's talking to even the lowliest of people in the world. Okay, people who probably, if they weren't slaves, would have to be standing on the corners of Baghdad and Jerusalem with a sign, you know, will work for food. And so he says to them in verse 22, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so within this meaningful work, God is calling slaves to work, as Al said, as if their master were Jesus. Not to be working for a human master, but to be working for Jesus. Now, if even a slave is working for Jesus, that makes his work meaningful. And so whatever work we have, albeit small or large, we are working for Jesus. And he has a reason for why he wants us to accept this work. He wants us to do this work for a reason. 
And it is, he wants to build up our souls. He wants to build up our spirits. He wants to build up the life that we have in him. That's what Colossians is all about. And that's why we have in the third part of our outline, the application part is soul what? In other words, so what does this mean to my soul to know these truths? And so God even calling slaves, the lowest of society, the bottom caste, to be people who would know that they have such dignity that they are actually working for the Lord of the universe. And he wants them to have this character so that they do what's right, not just when people are watching them. I, I chose the ESV version in our outlines because I like the way that it translated the words. It said, don't just give them eye service. Don't just be people pleasers, but be sincere. And these are issues of the soul. See, we can do things right, you know, oh, the boss is coming, just do it right. Then he leaves and we stop. Or we could go, oh, yeah, sure, boss, I'll do it for you, anything you want, you know. Yeah, 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 just ask me. And then when he leaves, go, I hate that boss. You know, I can't believe he asked me to do that. He's so stupid. You know, and so, so we know how to play the game. You know, we know how to look good when people are watching, and we know what to say when it benefits us. And Paul's saying, no, you know, your soul is what's important. And in your work, your soul is being built up and tested. And so God wants to build up our soul in this meaningful work. See, we think we're probably building something else. And, and I, I do too, even as a pastor. Instead of building our soul, instead of me thinking about that, I think I want to build my career. Right? But God doesn't give us this meaningful work for that purpose. He, doesn't giving us, he isn't giving us work to build up our careers. He's giving us work to build up our souls. And so that he says, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. Don't complain. You have work. It's part of who you are in Jesus. It's part of what it means to be a follower of him, to accept what he's given to you. It's not easy because it means everything. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at verse 17. So you're just going up to verse 17 if you've got your Bibles open in Colossians chapter 3. And verse 17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then we see that again in verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. And so it's like this whatever are two whatever bookends. So we have whatever on verse 17, bookend. Whatever on verse 23, bookend. So what counts is what is Paul talking about in the middle? Well, he's saying in the very middle that I want you to have good relationships. I want you to have the right relationships between wives and husbands. That's your work. I want you to have good relationships between your children and parents, between fathers and sons and daughters. That's your work. So our work is not just what we do out in the workplace, out in the world. Our work is what we do within the home. And that's why it's so important for us to see that God has called us in all of our work, that he's building up our souls. He's building up our walks with him. Now, of course, in every job, there's a payment. And Paul understands that. And so in verse 24, he says, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Paul's saying that this is what you're going to be paid. You are being paid eternal 
rewards. In everything you do here on earth, it has such a great purpose that what you're doing on earth can earn you eternal rewards. The way you act as a student, the way you treat your roommates, the way you work at helping other people in ministry at school, the way you do your job, the way you share your life with people, your kindness, your gentleness, your forgiveness with the people at work, your understanding, your patience, your your ability to reach out to other people, all those things, that's why we work. We work so that we can make an influence at the lives of other people. And God will reward us. See, we think we're sort of working, and again, this is the natural default for us. We think we're working for our earthly returns. You know, I work, somebody pays. I do something, somebody gives me something. So I'm working for a purpose, but it's greater than just me. I mean, don't you want your job to have a greater purpose? I, I, I think every man, I don't, I don't know, you, you know, whatever job you have, how great it is, every man probably still wonders, am I making a difference? Am I really doing what I'm called to do? Am I doing it as well as I ought to? Well, the answer is not on earth, but definitely in heaven. Is that your job on earth is so important because you have an opportunity to affect things in heaven. And so God doesn't want us to think that our, our rewards are so, so temporal or so little. It's just earthly returns. I mean, earthly returns, you know, you want to invest money in stock market. Why? So you get good returns. You want to look for good interest rates, which aren't around anymore, but you did it before because there would be good returns. You know, you, you want to invest in relationships. Why? Because you hope for good returns. You know, that's why I, we date. You know, we, we do things. That, that we, we have children, you know. We have children. Why? Because we hope that, well, I do, because they grow up and take care of me. You know, so, so there's earthly returns. But God says, no, you know, I want you to invest in eternal rewards because you have this inheritance. You have an inheritance that God's going to give to you. Now, we have a promised inheritance that will never fade away. This is the guarantee of grace. There's two forms of our inheritance. And the first form is called grace. It always begins there. And it's our guaranteed salvation if we've placed our trust in Christ. Look at the verse there on the left-hand side, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And uh, would you read that with me? Let's read it out loud together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Let's begin. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So there's the promise, and there's many other verses that say the same thing, that God has given us an inheritance in Jesus, and this inheritance is in heaven, waiting for us. And it can never spoil, it can never perish, and it'll never fade away. God will give us this inheritance in Christ. But, That's the grace. But there's a faith part as well. You can increase the quality of your inheritance in Christ. I don't know how that works. I don't fully understand it. But it's very clear in Scripture that when we all stand before God, and Christians will stand, that the Bible says that even Christians are going to be given rewards based upon the way they live their life on earth. 
Okay, so, you know, different people think that means different things. You know, we think that, oh, I'm going to, you know, I get to live in a mansion, and so maybe the really great people get to live in the Beverly Hills mansions of heaven, and the people who, you know, didn't do so much for God, you know, they live in Irvine heaven, you know. So, um, you know, so, but it's like, okay, all right, but there are rewards, and it's very clear that God wants us to increase our rewards. God wants us to increase our inheritance. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as what? As the result of how you have just lived out your work. So in other words, what we do on earth matters. Not only to other people, not only to God, but to us. And as we work, as we serve, as we give, everything, God is fair, God is not unjust. He will not forget the work you have done for the saints. And he will continue to remember that. And your rewards in heaven are going to increase. Because you have used your life, your work, for his glory. You know, it's like, it's like, um, it's like me, okay? Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm an only child. Okay, so, so let's say, like, when my dad was working in the grocery store, and he, he, he called me to work, and, you know, he paid me minimum wage. Um, but I work. And let's say that I work really, really hard. Okay, and I do really good work. And so I help build up his, his finances. I help build up his job. I help build up his possessions. I help him so that he makes more money so he can invest in other things so he can make more money. Okay, now, now that is all good, and that is all great for him. All right, that is all great for him. I am working for him. That is my purpose. But in my work for him, the quality of his life, the quantity of his possessions, his worth is, is growing. Now, someday, I'm his only heir. And, and all things being as they would usually be, I will get what he leaves behind. So then, actually, all that work that I did as a kid in the grocery store is actually becoming my inheritance as well. So when I work really hard for God, just like if I work really hard for my father, and I build up his quality, I build up what he has in possession, he's going to give those to me as my inheritance. So I'm actually working in benefit for myself as well, but that's not my motivation. It's just the result. My motivation is very different. My motivation is to yield service my motivation is to be like Jesus and to give to other people. Look at verse 25 and then verse 1 of chapter 4. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, the slaves have a master, and they were just told that they are to serve their master in heaven. So the slaves are being told that when you serve your master, don't serve them as your master. Serve them as if they were Jesus. Serve the Lord. But now, Paul's talking to masters, and he's saying, masters, you too have a master. So you better be serving that master. And how does he serve that master? He serves the Lord Jesus as his great master by loving and caring for his slaves. So he becomes a servant to his slaves. The master becomes the servant to the slave. So if you have a job, 
even if you're a supervisor, even if you're a boss, even if you're the bigwig, if you're the, where the buck stops, you are not just being served. In fact, you have a greater responsibility to serve those who serve you. That's how important your work is. That God wants us to be working in tandem and not show favoritism because we're all the same. See, we're all going to be judged by God. God's watching. And he wants us to be fair. He wants us to do what is right so that people will be treated fairly and given what is good. And so you look here at the scriptures in light of the context of that time where, where the Greeks and Romans treated slaves as things. They treated them as property. They treated them as inferior. And God says, no. Christian employers, Christian masters, Christian boss, we are to be responsible and have integrity because we have a master and we are a servant. And so in this way, our lives will make a difference in the lives of people that we have. And so we need to be carrying our signs. We'll work for Jesus. We'll work for the Lord. And we need to let people see so that our lives are different. Now there's um, other people nowadays, especially during the recession, that were holding up signs and saying they'll work for the Lord. And um, we see a couple of them right here. Right here. There they are. Okay. And so you got the guy on the left there. He says, well, code HTML for food. All right. So I don't know how many of you know how to code HTML for websites. You know, a few of you. Right. You know, not me. So that guy, you know, he's useful. Right. But he's, he needs a job. And the guy on the right, you know, I, I don't think you can read it. But he says, have PhD. Finished three postdocs. Published six papers. Will work for food. And I'm thinking about that guy, you know, he's overqualified, right? Either that or he's a really louser, lousy interviewer. You know, he just doesn't do well in his interviews. But in either case, they've been both have abilities to bring influence into this world. And so, so do you. So you're carrying a sign. You know how to code HTML? Okay, you have an education? You have a job that you are doing, and God wants to use you to influence the world. And so he gives us words. He gives us words to influence our world. He gives us words to use in our work. And so you look at verse 2 of chapter 4, and Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Who has Paul just been speaking about? Who is the one he's telling to pray? He's telling masters to pray in the context of their service to their servants. Paul is calling masters to pray with their servants. And if we continue to look at the bookends of doing whatever, God is calling husbands to pray with wives. God is calling children to pray with parents. God is calling bosses to pray with employees. Because we are to care not just about the body, but about the soul. See, it's not enough just to provide for your wife, her flesh. You need to care for her soul. 
You need to be praying for her and with her and getting to know her in that way. It's not enough just to take care of your children and give them a home and give them money and send them off to a great college. They need a relationship. You got to care about their soul. It's not enough just to give your employees enough money so that they can have a nice house or have a house, have clothes and have food. You're not just to care for their bodies. We're to care for their soul. So God says, I want you to pray for them. I want you to be steadfast. I want you to continually pray for them. I want you to be watchful. I want you to be looking out at the people, you know, looking at your children. What is unique about their needs that you pray for? Looking at the people that you work for, the people that you work with, or the people who work for you, saying, you know, what are their needs? How can I help them? What can I be praying for them? And be watchful. And all the while being thankful that you have the ability to pray because you care about them because God has given you this great position of work. And so you use your words in this wonderful way to pray. And you use your words to pray with others. And then our words continue to express a ripple throughout the world. As Paul says, now not only do I want you to pray, but I want you to proclaim. Verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray. Pray also for us. So, so Paul is humbling himself, and he's saying, I want you to pray for me. And he says, pray that God may open up a door for us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You know, that is a prayer that I have asked a number of people to pray for me every week. So every Tuesday, I work at the beginning of the week, and I work on the summary of the sermons. I'm working towards what I'm hoping to be at the end, and I send out that information to a number of people in the church who have volunteered to pray for me during the week for the sermon. And that's why I can always say, if you don't like the sermon, it's their fault. But, um, but, but we need and I need your prayers. And why? Paul is saying it. You know, what do you should be praying for whoever's speaking? Pray that they will make it clear and that they would know what they ought to speak. And Paul's saying this not just so that he can get up and preach to a congregation because he's not in a congregation, he's in jail. And so what he's praying is that God would give him opportunity to speak to those who are in jail, but God would open a door out of the jail to go back into the world and to preach so that he can get caught again, put back in jail, and here he can preach. And Paul is using his job to proclaim. He's humble. And he's making it clear of what we ought to be praying for. Praying that there will be an opportunity for them to share the gospel. You're praying for our children to be salt and light on their campuses. Encouraging them to, to bring their friends to youth group or to church. We as adults have opportunity to invite people to know the Lord by our lives, by sharing the proclamation of who Jesus is. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a preacher. You can just go and share your love, your knowledge of the Lord with other people, letting them know that you know there is a God. Even if you're saying, I'm praying for you, when you find out that they have a need, or you express your love for them, you know, even in the simplest of words, just saying God bless you can begin to identify you as a God follower. Bringing your Bible to work. Using scripture. You don't have to quote the scripture. 
You don't have to say, you know, love is patient, love is kind. You know, hey, that's from 1 Corinthians 13. Just say, you know what, I, I, I want to be patient here. I want to show you this kind of love. And you're becoming an avenue for God to proclaim through your life and then through your words the love of Jesus. And that's the purpose why he gave you a job. He's given you work so that you can proclaim Jesus there. And of course, this means then that God wants us to be his witnesses with our words. So more than just proclaiming who Jesus is and more than just proclaiming what it means to be a Christian, he wants us to witness to other people what it means to be a sign holder who says, working for Jesus. See, if you were wearing a badge or a button and says, you know, we'll work for Jesus, people will expect something different of you, won't they? If you have a sign on you that, not just the cross, because a lot of people wear a cross, but you wear anything on you that helps people know that you are a committed Christian or that you want to live like Jesus, like you should just wear a sign that says, you know, tell me if I'm acting like Jesus. That God wants us to be like that so that our proclamation is backed up by our witness that what we say is backed up by how we live. And so Paul says in verse 5, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders. And who are the outsiders? They are those who don't yet know Jesus. Making the best use of your time. Now the best use of your time on earth is to use it to let other people know about Jesus and to treat them as if you are Jesus to them. And so by our actions, we witness to outsiders. This term, the best use of time, is actually a commercial term, meaning seize the opportunity. Seize the time. It's the right time to buy. It's the right time to sell. It's the right time to make a communication with somebody. You have an opportunity. And so by your actions, do something. You know, somebody's hurting, send them a card. You know, somebody's going through a rough time, let them know you're praying for them. You know, somebody's happy, rejoice with them. You just continue to show by your actions, by your character, and by your conduct how God would have you to treat other people in the way that God has treated you. And continue to talk to them. And in your words and in your daily witness, by your conversation, by graciousness, and by salt and seasoning, In verse 6, Paul concludes, and he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech be gracious. And this word gracious, as you can obviously tell, comes from the word grace. And when you look at the meaning of the word grace, it means, of course, that we, we do things for others that they don't deserve, But there's also the attitude behind it. It's not that we're just doing it. See, God didn't just give us grace just because it was right. God gave us grace because he loves us. God gives us grace because he wants us to know that love. God gives us grace, not just bless our lives, but to change our lives. And so when we give grace, we're giving grace in the same way that we want to affect the heart of the person. We want to affect what's going on in their soul. We want to affect what's happening to them so that they can feel like they are being treated like a human being and that they are important. 
And so our convictions are so important because people in this world, the more the world becomes PC, the more the world decides that everything is okay, the more the world decides that whatever you decide is truth is truth, all the more important is it for us to stand up for the truth of what the Word of God says. Now I know this is very, very controversial, but this week the, the um, Supreme Court is going to be um, beginning addresses on Prop 8 from California. And if you remember many years ago, Prop 8 was a proposition that was put out on the ballot to ask people, should we change the definition of marriage and, and let you know, um, lesbians and gays get married and then have all the rights of that? And, and, you know, there's a lot of PC reasons why it, it certainly sounds, it sounds like it's okay. I mean, you know, if you listen to the world, they make it sound good. But if you go to the word of God, it's very clear what the definition of marriage is. It is between one man and one wife. And so it's very clear that for us in a PC world, that we have a choice of looking at what the scriptures say and standing firm upon it. And so like you know, or some of you know, that at that time, three years ago, that, that God was calling many, many pastors to pray and to fast. And when I joined that prayer time and that fasting time with them, God was doing a work in my heart so that I would be able to better understand who He is. It wasn't about me becoming a more powerful person and being able to affect the politics of this world. It was about being light and salt and standing still upon the convictions of what God's Word says. And so I don't go out there and say this with a sense of wanting to make people feel guilty. Or I go out there and say this because I think I'm all righteous. But because this is what the Word of God says. And if I am confronted by people and if I am asked to say things, that I must say them in love and with graciousness and seasoned with salt. I went to this restaurant this last week. It was the first time I've ever been to it. I've uh, been um, reading Yelp reviews and going to restaurants that get really high Yelp reviews and also have just one, um, one dollar sign by them. It means that they're cheap. All right? So those two things I'm looking for, you know, f- fours and fives on the stars and just one. Okay. So I found this place, all right, and it, it, it's um, called XA Sweet and Savory. All right? And so, you know, like there's a lot of fusion stuff in this world like you know let's mix um mexican with french and find out what we what we get all right okay so there's a restaurant called anapacos and they do it and oh it's good because they get five stars and one thing and i've been there all right so then this place but they do something different okay they don't fuse different cuisines of ethnic groups they fuse sweet and savory and it's good and it's cheap I can't get better than that. Well, you know what? We are called to be sweet and savory. We are called, even in the midst of a difficult situation, to stand up for what is right in our work and to have conversations with people that can change their life. Is it easy? No, of course it's not easy. It's awkward. We talked about that at the beginning. It's awkward. I want to read to you, you know, um, some words that was written by a man named Ken Curry. And he says, you know what? 
when you think about sharing the gospel, you think about living the life of a Christian, <laughs> one of the things is that it feels awkward. It feels awkward. And so he asks the question, and he writes an article to answer the question, is why would God have us to feel awkward when we live the Christian life? Why would God have us feel awkward with the sign, we'll work for Christ? And this is what he says. God gives most of us this awareness of awkwardness so that we would never, not for a second, trust in or magnify ourselves and drift away from the magnificence of the gospel. This awareness in evangelism makes the gospel tangible. It means I need the gospel right now myself. Not only does my hearer need Jesus at that moment, but so do I. And so sharing the gospel isn't just about me telling you what to believe. It's about me living what I believe and being true to who I am and having a conversation that brings people into the knowledge and expression and exposure of Jesus Christ. And so this week, we have two great opportunities. And in the coming month, we can add another one. Actually, two other ones with today's announcement of how our church can make a difference in this world and how our daily opportunities allow us by our actions and our conversations to invite people to know more about Jesus. Because this coming Friday is what? If today is Palm Sunday, it is Good Friday. And we have a Good Friday service, and you have the announcement there. We'll mention more in the maps there. But it's going to be a great experiential service for people to understand more about the love of Jesus on the cross for us. And I hope all of you will come and invite people to come with you. People that you know, people that may be curious. And then on Sunday, you know, we have our Easter service. And I'm preaching a gospel message. And we're going to have the Easter egg hunt. And then we're going to have the lunch. And so there's a great reason there to invite your friends to come to Easter service. That they might hear and know about Jesus and be among a people who care and love them. And then after service today, you can register for the Art of Marriage Conference. Again, another great way of being a witness and of learning how to grow in your relationship with Christ, of learning how to do that work of marriage better so you can be a witness in the community, but also an opportunity to invite your friends. And if you invite your friends, you get even three more raffle tickets, and those raffle tickets are to win a hotel night stay, many other prizes and gifts, including restaurant um, certificates and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's where we can make a difference. And then, of course, what Ben announced, there's the Planet Wisdom, which is actually at the same time of Art of Marriage. So you know, those of you who have junior high kids and high school kids, you don't have to worry about them. You go to Art of Marriage. And they don't have to worry about you because, in fact, they're going to be praying and happy for you because you're learning how to be a better parent when you go to Art of Marriage. So many opportunities that God doesn't want us to miss them so that we can live our work, our words, and our witness for Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us and for all of your goodness and grace that allows us, Lord, to proclaim by our words and by our actions and also allows us to pray because therein, in the words of prayer, we find you with the power to give us the things that truly are needed for internal inheritance. 
Lord, I pray for every hearer right now that just even a seed of desire would be, would be watered and, and planted and, and fed so that your light can come upon it, that they might know the wonders of your love and the purpose of work even in this world and how it doesn't just end here. It doesn't end with a paycheck. It doesn't end in retirement. It doesn't end with the grave. It goes on and on and on forever in heaven and eternity. Lord Jesus, help us to see the magnificence of your love, the magnificence of your cross. Help us, Lord, to make a difference for you in what we say and do, as you did for us. In your name we pray. Amen.